beautiful things you to diversify our brand new podcast. This is episode one. I am Holly. And I am Kate. And we are here with our first ever guest, who is... Zach. Zach is a wonderful, wonderful human being who I've known for a few years, but don't get to see enough. That's why I brought you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here for your first podcast. Yeah. Honour and a privilege. Thank you. Of ours. (laughs) Yes. Of us. We are joined today by a little puppy called Ellie, so if you hear some sniffles, that'll be her. But uh, she's so quiet. She has her own mic though, so... <laughs> <laughs> she might as well have mine. She's probably got more to say. Um, Zach is an amazing activist. He's a member of the Green Party, uh, was running to be a council member recently. Yeah. He's also great at talking about the housing crisis, particularly in London, but all around the country. He's an actor. Yeah. He's a vegan. Yes. We got that in there. We're not going to talk about veganism today. Mainly today we're going to talk about politics. And cars. And cars. Cars? I'm going to be screwed well, if we're talking about cars. We are celebrating today oh, the of course. podcast, but we are also celebrating that I, at the age of 28, have passed my driving Congratulations. Test. Yeah, we're very excited about this. On the second try. On the, thank you, on the second <laughs> try. I'd just like to go on the record that I passed on the first try at 18. I think it gets harder as you get older. Though. I agree. I don't think I can pass it now. I can't drive. I'm screwed. I'm never going to drive. That's <laughs> much better for the world. Right. I'm cycling everywhere. <laughs> there you go. Sorry, you've just passed your driving you know, test. It's I'm really interesting that you should say that because I read a thing the other day about how when they had horse and cart in London, it was causing a lot of pollution with all the horse dung and a lot of death with all the horses. They invented the automobile to fix that, the pollution and the death. Isn't that ironic? Now, we're replacing it with bikes. The Guardian did, and it was quite a while ago now, where there were all these bike graveyards in China, where all these rent your own bike, like Boris bike. Just thousands of unused bikes filling up landfill. So Zach, you're part of the problem. <laughs> Have you seen those bikes around London that aren't Boris bikes, but are those like ones you can get on the app? But I keep seeing them in the most random places. They're orange. I, I always used to live just outside when the Boris bikes were available. So I'd have to go somewhere to get on a bike to go somewhere. But now, yeah, you just leave them and then I guess you just find the bike and then you can just ride it around London. I guess they have GPS on them and yeah, you go find it. Genius. But apparently people keep leaving them in the middle of fields and things like that and kind of comedy and inverted commas places. So when you look on the app, you have to go somewhere ridiculous to get the bike. Such a, such a millennials that we're not just trolling on Twitter, right. we're trolling so on bikes. And where are you going to go for your first big drive? Um, down the one street in the small village that I grew up in that is just one street. Okay. I'm going to go down that street. Nice. I really feel like it seemed like it was worth it that you learn how to drive. <laughs> is this a metaphor or like there is just generally no, it's one street? No, literally okay. called the street. Oh, and you have to go the same way down it. I mean, you probably want to be careful when you're going down it though because it's quite narrow. I don't know. But I meant you can go the other way and you diversify. Can, you can go both, you can go <laughs> both ways and diversify your and journey. And what a segue that, that was. <laughs> second's journey. So a bit about the podcast. Diversify is basically this idea that the world is so diverse and there's loads of different people in it, loads of different belief systems that are outside the kind of mainstream that are all beautiful and we could all do with diversifying ourselves because actually once you escape the narrative of 
straight white cisgender male heteronormativity and all that stuff and just kind of look out and see the wonderful colorful world that we live in it's actually way more beautiful so today we're going to be focusing particularly on something called proportional representation (laughs) which in case you haven't guessed zach is very pro so zach could you give us a bit about your history because i know you used to be in the lib dem and you campaigned for remaining in the eu and then you defected to green so Give us your little story. So I was a Lib Dem candidate for um, the constituency and London list. So London, the way it elects its London Assembly members, doesn't often get talked about. Generally, when we have elections, it's first past the post. So that just means whoever is first to the post wins, and that generally makes it a Labour versus Tory. The post is the number of either votes you need or the number of seats you need to become the ruling party. Right, exactly. But because it's not 50%, it's not necessarily a majority. Someone could win on 26% and just everyone else. It's kind of hard luck, if that makes sense. Okay. Most typical example of that, of course, is in the States where Hillary Clinton won 3 million more votes. But because of their kind of electoral college system, we do have President Trump, unless he's uh, <laughs> gone by the time this podcast is out, which you know. <laughs> which could be tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> but the um, London Assembly is one of the few times that it's a fairer system. So each um, area in London will have one Assembly member for its area, which is generally Labour or Tory. But then what they do is with all the extra votes, so the hundreds of thousands of votes across London, they then top up with all the other parties. So suppose there was an extra 5% of votes for Greens and they would get another 5% of seats, which worked out to be two. I think Lib Dems got one of the seats. Sadly, UKIP got two seats. (laughs) But people wanted to vote for them and they wanted representation. So I, I think that's important. So does that mean that there isn't a fixed number of assembly seats? No, there's a fixed number of seats, but 12 of them, I think it's 12 from constituencies, and then the extra 12 are then added from all the extra votes that have been wasted in inverted commas. So it's kind of trying to mix it up as fairly as possible. I would argue it's still not nearly as fair as it could be, and we could have proportional <coughs> representation across the board. So actually, I mean, we've got into this subject now. How would that work? <laughs> so then the seats would match votes. So if 10% of people voted Green, then they would get 10% of the seats. Or if 30% of people voted Labour, they get 30% of the seats, which might mean that you have more than one Assembly member in your area, or it might mean that you have more than one MP representing your area. So you're voting for the party as opposed to the constituency you could still vote for constituency and vote for the candidates in your area so um jeremy corbyn he's never kind of said if he's for or against pr but he always avoids the subject and when i've asked him about it before at hustings and i think owen jones asked him on a fairly recent blog he said you know what do you think about proportional representation and jeremy corbyn said i think we need to have a conversation about it but i think it's more important that you maintain the link between your constituency mp and the constituent which is, to put it politely, a little bit of an um, interesting answer because there's nothing in proportional representation that stops the constituency link between the MP and the people who live there. So I think it's a little bit of politicking. Zach Polanski, I think you may have just found the one answer Jeremy Corbyn's ever given like a genuine politician. Well, I don't know if that's true either. I think... <laughs> On a side note, Yanis Varoufakis, the Green, careful I say his name, Greek finance oh, minister. Oh, you just said a naughty word then. Yanis right. Varoufakis, uh, very left wing, used to be a Greek finance minister, a um, really progressive guy, generally loved throughout Europe in left wing movements. Good friend of Jeremy Corbyn, he said at a conference that Jeremy Corbyn's position on electoral reform was becoming contemptible. And you're talking about electoral reform being proportional representation representation because he's not coming out in support of it. Right, exactly. Um, But again, somewhere where he's playing the game. There are a few political answers out there as well. For instance, his attitude on the EU. I still can't understand exactly what he's saying. Yeah, that to me is, I am a 
semi-Jeremy Corbyn supporter. I voted Labour for the first time in the last general election because I thought he ran a fantastic campaign. Also, it was a, it was a safe Labour seat anyway, but I felt like it was really... How annoying is it? Sorry to interrupt, but that sentence leaves our mouth that it's a safe Labour seat. Yeah. Nowhere should be safe. Everywhere should be up for grabs and then politicians would actually be held accountable. Absolutely true. And actually, I often do just vote with my heart anyway because I'm usually in a safe seat and that's good because I never feel pulled, but right. that's also shitty because my vote doesn't count and that's why we need proportional representation and also having lived in safe seats have you ever been canvassed has any any politician ever knocked on your door and you've been able to have the opportunity to ask them why you should vote for them that very politician or someone who is campaigning for that politician well ideally that politician which would happen if it's not a safe seat at all because they literally try and get through every door but yeah even just a you know someone on their behalf something that was really great in the last election i've never seen so many people out on the streets it was all labor and that is very interesting because this is um newham is quite a safe labor place anyway but i came out of the station where i used to live and there were just people with labor stickers the kind of things that owen jones always talks about you see the pictures and you go well actually that never happens on my street and i felt this like elation to actually vote Labour that uh, for that one point in time but it, it was the first time I'd really seen like proper ground level support. Can we talk about the momentum movement briefly because I have a lot of contacts or acquaintances that either are on one side or the other so you've got people that are saying that Jeremy Corbyn is going to save the country that he's the best thing that's ever come along in politics in years. And then you've got other people that are saying that Jeremy Corbyn's a communist. And I don't know whether either of these groups of people that I'm talking to quite regularly really know what they're saying. I feel like it's echo chambers. Right. And I'm just interested in what your opinion on that is. And if we can maybe try and detangle that web of confusion for people that may not be as interested in politics but would like some information right i think jeremy corbyn probably is one of the best things to happen in politics in years i can't believe that sentence is leaving my mouth i think he's um inspired millions of young people to get interested in politics and i can only take my hat off to that i think momentum's a complicated idea to talk about I remember being at a dinner table once at an event from a think tank called Compass, where a left-wing think tank who'd encouraged me to come and speak on one of their panels. And I was having dinner with these two people who were both ahead of Momentum at the time, or running Momentum. And I presume they must have been this huge operation, because I'm always talking about it. We're always hearing you know, people talk about it. Turns out there's only three of them. Three people who were running it at, at the time, kind of initially. Um, and also Owen Jones is a, a good friend. So I can think of loads of good people who are involved with momentum who really want the best for the country i think also at the same time though it's an absolute tribal machine that's a result of a system that isn't proportional representation and i worry sometimes when you've decided that something's wrong with the world you always see things through that filter yeah but i think a huge problem again is because we don't have a fair voting system so people can't be held accountable it really encourages this red versus blue battle and everything becomes about your team winning at the expense of all else and i think a good example is kate hoey in voxel um who's pro brexit she's pro fox hunting I don't think she could be much more aggressive as a Labour politician. I don't think she could be much more Tory as a Labour politician. Right, <laughs> good, good point. And, Can um, you tell my biases? <laughs> from what I understand, her local party really dislike her, but actually when it comes down to election time, it's more important that she gets in than anyone else, yeah. including a Lib Dem who I would say was doing a really good job of standing up for Europe 
and also some of the kind of more left-wing candidates. And I just think momentum isn't, it's not their fault, but I think that they're absolutely a product of that kind of binary system. I also think the anti-Semitism is complicated. Yeah. I don't believe Jeremy Corbyn is anti-Semitic and it really annoys me that I think that's a weapon used. Can I just say, I don't think he handled the anti-Semitism very well, right. but that doesn't necessarily mean he personally is. I agree. Where and I think the extra complicated bit is that I think he is willing to court the votes of people who are anti-Semitic to win because we live mm. in a binary system that's first past the post in the same way that he's willing to court Brexit votes. And that for me is why Jeremy Corbyn is so complicated because I think he could be such a source for good but because he's stuck in this old voting system which he supports and he wants to continue supporting it results in him having to take absurd positions that he doesn't necessarily believe in that are completely against our you know ideology of equality and diversity etc just in order to win and it becomes just about winning and then just to give you one other example in Highgate uh, in Camden fantastic green councillor called Sean Berry she was the Greens mayoral candidate uh, young female scientist, smart, sweet's a patronising word, isn't it? But uh, she's she's really empathic. It shouldn't be. You probably wouldn't call a man sweet. I would no. call a man sweet, which is why I think I paused and thought, actually, I'd call a man sweet, but I don't think most people would. I do that as well. use a lot of things that are mainly associated with one gender with the other, and it really jars people. I think we should call more men and women sweet. Yeah, we absolutely. Should. Um, I'm grinder sometimes when I call men pretty. They get really bothered by it. They go, oh, shouldn't I be handsome? Anyway, that's a <laughs> side note. Also, no, there are handsome men and there are pretty, pretty men. Pretty men, right? Yeah, and there are pretty, pretty handsome men. And I say this as somebody who doesn't want to fuck any of them. Are there handsome women? Mm. Yes. And I say this as someone who doesn't want to fuck any women. Can you name a handsome woman? Um... Uh, yes, no, I can. Uh, Kate Moenig, Elwood. Oh, she's not really handsome. Laura Linney. Okay, I get that. Laura Linney is a handsome woman. Apparently she's one of, in like a couple of decades, she's the person that I'm going to look the most like. And I'm like, great, but I need to get handsome because at the moment I'm too doll faced. <sighs> For podcast listeners, her Holly is very handsome. Very handsome indeed. <laughs> like, a, like a young Leonardo DiCaprio. I've got curtains and everything. <laughs> Sean. <laughs> um, Sorry, Sean. <laughs> um, so she's this amazing candidate. Her green mayoral campaign, I thought, was incredible. It mm. was based in evidence-based practice, but it was also visionary, and it wasn't boring. So there's loads of good reasons why um, she should be in politics. And sorry, was this a mayor of London? Uh, yeah, exactly. So she ran as the green mayor of London, but then she also ran much more recently to be green councillor in Highgate, which she's done already for about eight years, but was at risk of losing her seat. So I support her so much, I abandoned my own seat um, the day of election day and the day before just to go and support this her. This latest election? Yeah, yeah, exactly, the recent election. So on campaign day, it was me, her and Caroline Lucas. So it was a pretty um, tight unit. Things were pretty dire. I shouldn't say they were. They felt pretty dire when the leader of a party and the woman defending a seat. And then it's, it's just me, kind of the three of us in, in that kind of area. I'm talking, there have been loads of people earlier on in the day. I'm talking now like between 8pm and 10pm when the elections kind of last are... Exactly, final push. last push. And um, I was walking through Highgate and I saw this Labour activist, very middle class woman, who just said to me so snarlingly, you're the first person I've seen all day that isn't Labour. Turns out there was probably maybe 50 to 100 of them, all in Highgate, all going for Sean's seat. Meanwhile, Westminster was on a knife edge with the Tories, but Labour was sending people to go and get rid of Sean because there was a chance that Camden could be totally Labour and not have any opposition whatsoever. So this is why it comes back to momentum is I feel like that kind of attitude towards politics where we are going to eliminate all the opposition, we're going to have full control and no one can stop us doing anything we want. And then, um, for instance, in Westminster, my friend was a Labour candidate. He lost by 25 votes. So if just two of those activists had gone to Westminster, 
we could have had a gay Labour councillor in Soho who has never had a Labour councillor in its entire history since 1963. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Long pause while that yeah. sinks in. Well, what about the idea of making realistic promises? I mean, I don't know the manifesto that well, but I've had conversations recently where people will say none of this is achievable. And people that are very educated in politics, so I just have to take their word for it, but a lot of people saying none of this is achievable or people won't jump on the idea of the inheritance tax. Right. So someone tried to get me to uh, change my mind about Labour by saying, would you like it if when your parents died, you did not inherit their house and it went back to the state. Do you think that that's something that Labour is actually going to do? Do you think that the things in the manifesto that are problematic for some people are there because they're trying to promise a utopia? And An inheritance tax isn't the same as we're going to take your entire house away, right? Right. I might not, I haven't read the Labour manifesto, but I'm pretty sure that would be front page of the Daily Mail and the Daily Sun and all of the ones that are problematic for human rights violations if it said... Corbyn will take away your mum and dad's house when they die. That is not the same thing as a tax, right? Am I... They're not saying in their manifesto... Tax already exists. I'm pretty sure that they're not going to be like... Maybe I'm wrong, but does the Labour manifesto say they're going to take your house? No, they don't, but it would be um, significantly more that they'd be taking away. Um, It wasn't in the manifesto, I don't believe, but there was discussion around should people be inheriting houses or actually exactly what you just said, should they go back to the state... And I think, to be honest, that's a conversation to have. I wouldn't necessarily say that's a position I support, but I don't like the idea in politics as just some conversations that can never be had. And I think, um, so for instance, one thing I really support is a universal basic income. Yes. Yes. And I think that parties are really avoiding that conversation because they just know the problematic papers will have a field day. Can I ask you to clarify for any listeners who don't know, how would you sum up in a couple of sentences what you mean by universal basic income and why the context of it will change everything? Cool. So to reverse those questions, it's good because it would mean for actors and artists, they could pursue their dream of creating things and they would have a secure income while they contributed to society. Yawn, who gives a crap about actors? Yeah, no one cares say, about artists. Um, for everyone else, um, they also <laughs> had the same freedom and creativity as actors <clears throat> and artists might do now if they weren't having to constantly struggle to, to make rent. And the idea of a universal basic income is every single citizen, no matter what their income situation, would receive X amount of money that would hopefully cover something like rent basic food and basic living conditions. And I guess help big decisions, because even put simply, if I want to buy one banana, it's 22p. If I want to buy a bunch of bananas, I get eight of them for one pound. If you have a little bit more money, you can get more for that money. And it could, I guess, help people who just don't have that chunk of money, even a small chunk of money to put down the beginning of a business, the beginning of this, the beginning of that. It is the kind of idea that it also can act as a springboard. And then and then that helps society. Right, absolutely. Um, and the really interesting thing is, so they're trialling it in lots of different places around the world, and one place at the moment is Scotland, where they think they're doing it in three different constituencies, but each time they're having a look at the different impact it's having. So one is on single women of a certain age demographic, because they're saying they think it will really affect decisions about... Um, families etc and having kind of having kids and this whole all complicated conversations that it links in with everything else and then there's one country i want to say kenya but that might be wrong where they trialed universal basic income for a few years and they found that it was increasing things they hadn't even thought it would affect like nutrition mm. dietary kind of conditions i guess that's nutrition educational attainment and literally everything was on the up it was looking like it was amazing 
the IMF and the International Monetary Fund, a fairly neoliberal organisation, found out what was going on and shut the whole project down. Just before the end, wasn't it? Right, exactly. Um, and I saw the lady speak uh, who ran it. Uh, she was doing a talk on it and I chatted to her afterwards about it. And she said that they tried to do everything they could to keep this thing going on. And they had threats, um, blackmail, everything. The IMF just said no. And essentially, I think without being a conspiracy theorist, it's because it will shake the entire political system up. It'll change the banks. It'll change the way that um, wealthy newspapers have domination over <laughs> so much. It's really, I think, the eye on the prize that you know, I think everyone should kind of be going for. But it's all about a narrative. How can you win when you know most of the papers would... Let me phrase this well. Propagandist papers Propaganda. are going to say this is impossible. How do we change the narrative? Because I feel like we all know what the Daily Mail is going to say the next day. But also, to get a little bit more existential about it, are we being overly ambitious in thinking that humanity within the UK can adapt to new ideas that quickly? I mean, everyone votes for themselves at I the end. I think yes. Yes, brilliant. But it's quite possible that people didn't know what they were voting for, just like with Brexit. Sometimes people don't really listen to the facts. And if you are saying to someone, you're going to lose this, this and this if you vote for Labour, I've got some very middle class friends who will say, oh yeah, I'm totally happy with losing all of my inheritance if that's what Jeremy Corbyn wants. And I'm going, that's very quick to jump to that conclusion. I don't know if you've thought that through. Right. It's a very idealistic thing to just go, yeah, I don't care about my inheritance. And then when it actually happens to you, but especially as we don't have a country that's functioning well enough to be able to help them out without yeah, the bank right. of mum and dad helping them. So the house goes to the state. That is, to me, not possible right now because we don't have a state that is supporting people who don't have houses in the first place. Right. So if you lose your mum or your dad's or whatever's house, that is the only security you have. But if you have a state that can secure you enough, which I think if you go to other places, like even in Europe, they're like, why do you want to own your house so much? Why is this land so important? But that's because they have a state that will... It's the same way as, as people who support left-wing Brexit or Lexit. <laughs> so Holly's rolling her eyes. But actually, I understand and I get it. If we didn't have this kind of very right-wing Tory government, then actually, you describe me as pro-European, and I am, but I have huge problems with Europe. And I think under a left-wing <coughs> government, there would be a really good argument to have about not being in the European Union because they'd be holding us back in various ways. But I think you've got to look at things how they are. And what they were doing with the Brexit referendum. If you're fighting alongside Nigel Farage right. and his racist buses, you're probably on the wrong side. 20 years from now, or 10 years ago, or whatever, might have been a very different story. Agreed. I think also the Labour manifesto is problematic in various ways. So, for instance, they were against tuition fees, so they wanted free education. But I think one of the ways they were going to fund that was by freezing benefits. I would rather that people had uh, more money on benefits, so for instance through a universal basic income, than wealthy graduates um, not contributing towards their graduate system. Now what I'm giving is a false dichotomy, because what I'd rather have is a free education and the universal basic income and all those things are possible. And I understand why the Labour Party didn't want to promote that, because they were worried about being seen to help the working classes too much in terms of, oh you're helping so many people who aren't getting jobs. So. Again, with Jeremy Corbyn, I feel like there's this idea of complete transparency and authenticity. But he, he's really playing the game as well. But then, you know, another part of my head goes, well, of course he's playing the game. He needs to win. Right. So there's a great book called uh, The Spirit Level. I don't know if you've read it. Yes. Yeah. So it's called The Spirit Level, Why Quality is Better for Everybody. One of the things that struck me about that was that when the gap between the rich and the poor 
is the least. It will actually help those who are the richer as much as those who are the poor end of the spectrum. Right. Uh, because like average age of death, even amongst richer people in these more equal societies, is still higher. And you're thinking, but if they're less rich, why are they still happier and why are they living longer? And the thing is, it's correct because it's working. But if you say to somebody, be a little less rich and let other people be a little more rich, you'll actually be happier, you'll live longer, and you'll still have everything you need and more. It's counterintuitive when you just listen to it, but also at the same time, was it Nixon? Was a, The first time it almost got signed into law was a Republican-American. Oh, wow. Um, although it's not that surprising because it's also a quite right-wing idea because what you're doing is you're reducing the role of the state in terms of you don't need to be taking as much in taxes and things like that because actually you're, you're moving things around. So it's quite a libertarian idea. You're getting rid of a benefit system, etc. Um, oh. apart from probably disability benefits. So um, I think UKIP, for instance, are quite pro-universal basic income. Um, That's really interesting to me. I think when people think of universal basic income, if they know what it means anyway, I think of that as a very left-wing yeah, idea. Absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of blown my mind. I agree. There was a really interesting question at this conference where the same lady I was talking about, someone put their hand up and they asked a really long question, one of those long-winded comment questions that essentially said, is another problem with the universal basic income the same with Brexit? They for right-wing control the narrative. Then something that could have been potentially progressive will be distorted and become a very regressive idea. And she went, yes. And you just felt the room kind of go, oh, we've, we've got to get ahead of the game here. So context. Right. I'm really big on context. We don't live inside a vacuum. And what Kate was saying about certain friends being like, well, we have to be pro Jeremy Corbyn because his great idea is perfect. But the problem is we don't live in a context where Jeremy Corbyn's great idea can come into fruition without right-wing papers or politicians scaremongering right. or without the fact that right-wing populism is... Also, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you have a political party that's only in power for a few years and then someone else takes over, surely a lot of these plans never actually come to... What's the word? Fruition. Fruition. That's that gang mentality you're talking about. You want Labour or Tory and right. it has to be all Labour instead of just like this one Green candidate who's amazing. Exactly. And no one ever manages to complete whatever it is they're trying to do and then everyone looks like they screwed the country up even more because they didn't have enough time to put these ideas into practice. Which is why when you were saying, can humanity change that quickly, the last election, the 2017 general election, it was one of the most eye-opening, enlightening, simultaneously horrifying and exciting things. The way Jeremy Corbyn managed to swing that narrative and right. Theresa May just generally not managing to create any narrative literally swung everything from how much of a landslide is this going to be to hung parliament and to me that quick turnaround that was really exciting but that was also scary can i just tell you a tangent that my brain went on while you were saying those <laughs> things i was speaking to a vice principal at a school recently and we were having a very similar conversation to this and i said isn't there some way to educate people in politics so that they can kind of engage a lot more easily from a much younger age and there's not going to be so much of this confusion going on and he told me that there's a course and I don't know if it's all schools that teaches all these things like um, teaches ch children to be progressive and to think and to understand politics and and it's called I think core British values oh god I know. Do you know what Doesn't it, it sound like the opposite of what it is? That's good branding. 
make all these uh, UKIP voters think they're sending their kids to uh, EDL school. I think there's another thing here too that um, I saw the other day, someone said, I love Bernie Sanders, but they're like, Bernie Sanders might win in a few years and then we'll have Jeremy Corbyn as prime minister. And like, just imagine how cool the world's gonna be. And I was like, what, two white, older middle-class men. That's the other thing with Jeremy Corbyn, that people kind of really put him up as this very kind of new and exciting, I guess this is just personal bias, but I'm just not excited by him. I don't see him as the future. I see him as part of the future, but I think if our future is going to be resorting back to kind of 1970s white politics, I think we, we, we need to be going elsewhere with that. One other thing was, um, was it that Jeremy Corbyn ran a brilliant campaign or was it that Theresa May ran one of the worst campaigns in history? And it's a genuine question. I don't. I think both, but I think for Jeremy Corbyn, I don't think he's God's gift. I mean, I'm an atheist, so I never would, but... I do think what's happened to him is really unfair with the media. It borders on breaking a lot of laws about media bias. Yeah, so basically I, I think it's very difficult to be a counter-message. And he managed it and was like, there is an alternative. Also, Theresa May ran an awful campaign that was lacklustre and lazy. Um, so I think it's both of them. But I don't think that that should take away how good that campaign was and how it felt positive and I had not seen anything positive and they managed to make people feel like there was hope and when they felt like there was hope they voted a lot less for what I would call negative more racist more sexist more homophobic more anti what I stand for policies so I think it's half and half did that make sense yeah Remember how we said before we started the podcast that I was going to play the devil's advocate <laughs> and you were going to be the annoying one? And this is how we end the podcast, with a punch-up. <laughs> so I'm going to ask a question that I'm not supposed to ask. We talked about parties implementing uh, ideas and plans and then not fully following through with them and therefore just leaving the country in a worse state than it was in when they got in. If the Tories were to stay in power for, say, another 10 years, <laughs> is it... I know. <laughs> is it possible that whatever it is they're doing might eventually come full circle and start doing something good for the greater... No. ...population? No. <laughs> no. I mean... <laughs> Hayley? No. <laughs> I think that... Um, you said general population is not going to be good for the general population. I was going to say it will be good for the 1%. But even then, when we're talking about the spirit level, it won't even be good for them because they'll be living in a society with more crime, with people more resentful about the lack of healthcare provision, about uh, prisons that are overcrowded and we're not focusing on rehabilitation rather than you know um, punishing people. I don't necessarily know if the Conservatives are bad people. I think some of them really believe they're genuinely doing it for, for the best interests, but... I think they're, they're doing things with the best of intentions a lot of times. Um, I think they're just misguided in what the country needs and, and how things are. And also, you don't know what you don't know if you haven't walked in other people's mm. shoes. And I think a lot of them just lack real world experience. Ah, it's so easy to be in London and to see that crime is up. I mean, the amount of gang warfare that's going on in so many boroughs in London at the moment, it's soaring. How right. Somebody got shot that? in the head outside where we are doing this podcast right now. And I was there when it happened. And I can tell you right now, that didn't make me want to vote for tougher crime sanctions and all this stuff. That made me want to be more compassionate. And is politics not kind of summed up in a bunch of people with good intentions accidentally doing everything wrong and trying to make things better. 
And, and no one really knows. And I don't know if it's always accidental, so I don't want to finish a podcast with a puppet Sadiq Khan, but he took more donations during his mayoral campaign from property developers than he did from trade unions. Since then, we've had such a lack of social housing built, and you only need to walk around central London and see the amount of homelessness. Same as gang crime. You, can, you only have to walk around London to get that homelessness is massively increasing. And that is something that I would love to talk to you about another time. would love you to be a friend of the podcast. Nice. Today's podcast has been about mainly proportional representation. Which diversifies, by the way. So every time they've got proportional representation in different countries, it results in more female MPs and more MPs from ethnic minorities. Woohoo! Oh, and reduces your chances of going to war. And let's be honest, peace is the way forward. <laughs> so, plugs, Zach. Tell us about you. How can we find you? What are you up to? You can find me um, mouthing off on Twitter at Zach Polanski and it's Zach, Z-A-C-K. Uh, and, and good luck with Polanski. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just leave that one to the imagination. Yeah, it's with an I. I wouldn't have thought anyone would spell it any other way, but you're right. People come up with all sorts of variations. So Z-A-C-K-P-O-L-A-N-S-K-I. Great. And he was on Victoria Derbyshire like a year ago as well, weren't you? I think I went on six times last year. <laughs> Victoria Derbyshire and Newsnight love to have me on. So, you know, it's always nice to, to have a chat. You've got a regular celebrity. Don't wow. know about that. Well, one other thing, there's a, a podcast called The Family Tree Podcast. It is by a guy who created something called the Getting Better Acquainted with Podcasts, which was one of Guardian's favourite podcasts a few years ago. He meets um, interesting people and interviews them for an hour about their life and about their politics. And then about three seasons ago, which I think was three years ago, he started to interview people about a murder that happened. And the murder is fictional, but the interviews are done as in the same format. And so he's mixing that reality and, and fiction. And as the seasons have gone, it's got more and more increasingly political and more and more relevant and slightly sci-fi-y. Mm-hmm. The family tree. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kate's uh, giddy from her joyride earlier on and uh, has enjoyed some bubbly. Kate, how can we find you? I am Kate Lois Elliot at Twitter. What a name. Uh, can we just... Spe- okay, this is the English spelling of Elliot. It is two L's, two T's. For some reason, everything on any computer ever autocorrects it to one T. And it, it drives me insane, Holly. It drives me insane, okay? It's the patriarchy. It's the patriarchy. <laughs> That's can... how every podcast is going to end. And on it's our next patriarchy. podcast, I'm going to explain to you exactly why there are so many spellings of Elliot. And I'm about to make sure that gets edited out. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at our team Q. That is our as in mine and yours and all of ours. Team as in uh, everybody should support Arsenal. And Q as in the letter. Our team Q. That's the producers of this podcast essentially uh, it's also a blog we're going to start doing song of the week which are all going to be interesting artists and oh. we're also going to be doing a bunch of cool content there so take a look at www.wearetheq.com if you want to find us we would literally love a follow because this is our first episode and who knows how many followers we're going to have on twitter we are diversifypod on Instagram, we are Diversify Podcast, and we do have three followers. <gasps> and that's before we even have anything other than a puppy's face I as the headshot. Set it up an hour ago. So you will find us there. We are going to do this thing where at the end of every podcast, we ask our esteemed guests just two quick questions. So question number one. When, if ever, do you switch off your activism? 
Um, I don't, and it's a real problem. So for instance, when I go on dates, um, I'm also a counselor during the daytime. I often feel like I'm interviewing the other person, but very often people will say things that I find problematic and it's not like I attack them for it, but you know, I want to discuss it and chat about it. And I think it's one of the reasons why I've been single the vast majority of my adult life. <laughs> the second question that we want to ask is kind of just to end the podcast on a high because we live in some dark times, but it's still the lowest death and murder and hate toll in human history. So our last question is... Zach, will you please give us some sunshine? Um, I've got two things, actually. One you were talking about was that exit poll that came out from 2017 general election, which I think was just one of the best moments in life, where Theresa May had taken this huge, I don't even, I mean, politics aside, this quite authoritative character had taken this huge gamble and been so cocky about it. And then just to see the British public go, oh, no, 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 you don't tell us what to do. Really enjoyed that. The other one doesn't start off as light. Um, but a year ago, a friend of mine died in the Manchester terrorist bomb, Martin Hett, and his brother, Dan. <laughs> Uh, I remember a few days after the attack, Mariah Carey had tweeted a picture of Martin and Dan in like the most dark Mancunian humour just said, I was unsure about my brother's recent social media move, but I'm starting to think he might have had it down. <laughs> and I think oh, no. to have that kind of response, in fact, even more so, here's the light. His mum went on Victoria Derbyshire this week with the mother of a dead ISIS fighter and said, we have more in common in this conversation because we've both lost children to the same ideology than to yes. keep fighting with each other. So I know that doesn't sound like immediate light, but just stuff like that goes, if you can find that within your darkest times, then there's hope for us all. And listeners, just go on Twitter and search, is it the hashtag BeMoreMartin? Yeah. And he spells his name M-A-R-T-Y-N. And it is just wonderful how Manchester has managed to defiantly create love out of hate. Yeah, and absolutely. I'd like to end today on Be More Martin because I think that's great. Thank you for coming to our first podcast, Zach. And thank you, thank you everybody, all three followers of you for listening. Yes. And thank you, Ellie, for being the quietest dog yeah. in the history of podcasting Ellie ever. can bark now. Shit, where's she gone? Bark. She's asleep. She's gone. Oh. We've bored her so much, We've she's lost asleep. The dog. Although she's pro-proportional representation. Ellie, the, the dog, dog is pro-pro-pro... Uh, pro, uh, pro, <laughs> Ellie, the, do you know what? Let's end on a tug twister. Say pro proportional representation 10 times fast. Send it into us. Tag us on Twitter. Hashtag diversifypod. And I swear to the God I don't believe in that if anybody sends me 10 times pro proportional representation. That's our new theme song. That's our new theme song. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening, all three of you. Yay! voice with both I, I, we didn't discuss this but I've decided I'd like to do my radio voice with both if that's okay another edit hello Holly here thank you so much for getting to the end of the podcast oh my god we cannot thank you enough this is just a quick one at the end to just let you know we actually recorded this episode before the recent people's march and also before the talk about a second referendum on brexit had become so mainstream so that's why Zach doesn't mention it but fear not, he was on the march, and if we have him on again, which we certainly hope will happen, we'll be sure to ask him about it. 
Now, we know it's a whole week to wait before episode two lands, but trust us, it will be worth it as we welcome the fantastic actor and activist. Does that make him an actorvist? Mm, punny lady. We welcome Daniel York to talk about the importance of diverse representation in the media and arts world. Thanks for listening, and yup, hit subscribe. Thank you.